Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. On today's episode, we are fortunate enough to hear from Hong Thung. Hong starts our conversation by sharing an extremely personal story about her childhood. She migrates to the UK from Vietnam on a boat with her family when she was three years old, and this is back in the 1980s. Life was quite hard growing up. She was living on a council estate and living off government benefits for many, many years. A really challenging life for a young child to move countries, but Hong didn't let this stop her. In fact, at 10 years of age, she has an epiphany that she wants a better life and she's going to find it. She utilizes the school system and some of the teachers surrounding her to make the necessary changes to support her getting to university and becoming a professional, and she chose pharmacy as her pathway. Hong's life story identifies the importance of understanding how to overcome challenges in your life so you can be successful, whether that's in your job, in your personal life, or in any passions that you have. During her pre-registration training year, she felt the stress and the pressure to pass the exam the first time, but unfortunately, she failed it twice before she actually passed and became a pharmacist. This hurdle did not stop her. In fact, it made her more determined to achieve and be successful as a pharmacist. Whilst sharing this journey, she talks about how failing the exam really knocked her confidence. However, she also understood that these hurdles would make her a stronger person. She identifies how important it is not to compare yourself with other people, whether you're a student at school or whether you're at university or in your professional life. The value of focusing on yourself and doing what's right for you is definitely the way forward. Fast forward several years, Hong is working as a specialist pharmacist at the Great Ormond Street Hospital, working in medicine safety and governance. She really loves working with children. She also talks about the rewards of being a specialist pediatric pharmacist, working with children and seeing them grow up and be part of their lives and also working with rare conditions is a really unique experience that she loves. Overall, this was a really inspiring podcast that sheds light on the challenges and the rewards of being a pediatric pharmacist. I hope you guys love the episode. Okay, so welcome to Pharmacist Diaries. Absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Alicia, for inviting me to, to this. Yeah, no, uh, really excited. Obviously, it's an opportunity for us to get to know each other, which is which is amazing. Um, I guess we could kickstart the episode by talking about why you became a pharmacist in the first place. Wow. Um, so I am a boat person by culture so I came over in the 1980s as a Vietnamese boat person when I was about three and when I came over um, we grew up with um, on council estates and we actually did um, you know it was on benefits for a very very long time as with my family because my parents weren't educated and I basically had an epiphany when I was about 10 that said I wanted a better life for myself and I didn't want to be on benefits. And um, basically from there, I had a teacher who was very good and helped support me to um, sit my 11 plus, went to a grammar school, local grammar school with a scholarship because they, they're unheard of anymore. Um, and basically 
when I was looking at careers, I wanted something that could give back to the community and give back to the country, really, because um, I came over. And what I thought was really important was I wanted a job that allowed me flexibility because culturally from a South Asian background, Chinese background, um, it's very much family orientated. I knew like my family, my parents who don't speak English would need me at, at some point and I would need to work or would be able to then choose a career that could give me part-time working as well as full-time working and flexibility around that. Um, so pharmacy suited me quite well whilst medicine, nursing, gives you a much bigger commitment with shift working and the difficulties of that. That's really interesting. Thanks for uh, sharing that story and to have an epiphany at the age of 10. Yeah. I mean, I've got a five-year-old and she is in her own little planet of princesses and parties. I can't imagine even a few years from now that she really truly understands what it is she wants to do in the future. It was was a very strange... It was literally... I went to a parents' evening with my parents to translate for them. I think it was my brothers, and I'd only just left the primary school at the time. I started in secondary school. I was there. I'd been at the local secondary school for a couple of weeks and went to it and just burst out into tears to the teacher and just said, I know I can do better than this, but I don't know how. It was so strange, but I can't explain it. Well, that's quite amazing that the school took the opportunity to Uh support you and help you to grow, knowing that you wanted to do something more. Um, And that's quite amazing. Um, I'm not sure that all the schools in in England at the moment would be, you know, able uh, to support children from an individual point of view. Um, So that's that's great. And especially because I wasn't their pupil anymore. So that, that, uh, yeah, you definitely... We probably don't get that sort of like opportunities now that I did then. And very lucky that obviously the teachers saw that potential in me anyway. Oh, amazing. I love that. Uh, what was uh, pharmacy school like for you? What was it like as, a, as an undergraduate student? Pharmacy school was very traditional because I went to Manchester University and that's one of the Russell Square sort of like classic 12 schools that you would go to. Um very traditional course with pharmacognosy, with um, pharmaceutics and everything you would expect from it. But I felt a bit like, um, it felt a bit like we were the understudies to medicine because med- medical school had lots of equipment whilst our pharmacy school is very run down and very old. And actually, after we left, the, the, the school would be renovated anyway and, and there's been a lot more investment into pharmacy from that perspective because... Um, the career that I chose and when I went into pharmacy, I was actually the year just before the fallow year when they switched from the three-year course to the four-year course. So employment for pharmacy was 100% regardless, as long as you weren't absolutely, you know, as long as you've passed your, your course and did your pre-reg, you, you'd be guaranteed a job, um, which was amazing met loads of different people in pharmacy and loads of different people and what they wanted to do. And bearing in mind, when we did the course, there wasn't like extended role for pharmacists at the time. Clinical pharmacy from a ward perspective was sort of like, it was hospital pharmacy, that's clinical pharmacy. And it only just really started off for the past few years. So what we are now from a clinical pharmacy perspective and even community pharmacy services have grown massively 
in comparison to what was on offer at the time. Very traditionally, pharmacy in the community was to do with supply and you know responding to symptoms was the best that they had. Yeah, yeah, no, things have really changed. And in mm-hmm. fact, students should be really grateful for what opportunities they have um, in the undergraduate degree, mm-hmm. uh, in summer placements, internships, work experience. There's so much going on in pharmacy. It's quite amazing. Um, did you have any specific interests as a uh, university student and kind of knowing that as a 10-year-old you were visualizing what you wanted to do in the future, I assume that you had some kind of like big ideas as to what type of pharmacist you might be. So I didn't know at the time, but then when um, part of like um, one of my, so throughout my degree course, I actually worked part-time in community pharmacy and I actually did a summer placement um, in hospital pharmacy. I did a, I did that at King's and when I worked part-time in community pharmacy, enjoyed it and really enjoyed the contact with <clears throat> your customer base and your your patient base that you see because they're locals and you, you you see them over the years. But one thing that I really, that's all it's part of my complete love of pharmacy was actually when I worked in, in hospital pharmacy and saw the potential for where clinical pharmacy could be taken and how the impact of pharmacists can have such a bit much more bigger impact on that individual patient care by educating and by supporting the doctors, the nurses and having our own roles in our own respect. Yeah, no, absolutely. I did exactly the same. I worked in community pharmacy throughout university, uh, lots of weekends, um, but I used to save up my money to enjoy uh, traveling um, because I was quite passionate um, in my 20s about traveling. Still am, but, um, you know, it's not as easy now with with family life and work life. But um, I really enjoyed the community aspect, uh, the ability to support people day in, day out. And on a weekly basis, you really get to know your customers because they're literally on your high street. Mm -hmm. They may pop in after they've been to the supermarket to pick up a couple of items and you just get to know them. Um, But I wasn't necessarily making... um, in-depth mm-hmm. kind of consultations at that time or or trying to make interventions. There was a lot of over-the-counter, um, you know, application of my knowledge, uh, really building up my consultation skills, um, understanding good ways to communicate with patients in a very short space of time, um, which was, yeah, a really, really easy way to do well on OSCEs um, and also supported me in terms of the pre-registration exam at that time because it was very over-the-counter based in terms of the questions. So yeah, benefited from that massively. My parents owned a community pharmacy as well for um, a couple of decades. So it was kind of standard practice uh, to be in in, uh, the high street. Um, But hospital was also kind of definitely the place that I could see myself growing as a professional and you can see where you start and kind of where you end up and when I became a resident I was so fortunate in Oxford to be around these incredible you know super specialist pharmacists these role models within the profession and that was what really kind of like sparked my interest Um, and I think it 
still to this day, a lot of junior pharmacists see that. And it's quite exciting now because people, even though I'm, I'm any sort of 13 years qualified, I still feel like a baby pharmacist sometimes. But the juniors look at me and they're like, oh, you're a role model in society yeah. for us. Like we look at you and we see, wow, <laughs> look at all these amazing things that you've done. Um, so it's nice to be able to kind of give back to society from that perspective. But equally, don't get me wrong, I, I I think the opportunities for community pharmacy and like primary care network pharmacists now and with the new ICSs, there's so many opportunities there. I think when I joined particularly, the opportunities for hospital pharmacy to develop that professional role and to develop those things was just the seizure oyster. And almost now... <clears throat> hospital pharmacy is a lot more established. There's still lots of opportunity, but it's a lot more established. But there's so many other opportunities as well with these new ICSs that are coming on board. And it's an exciting time, to be honest, for pharmacists, because increasingly we don't get less drugs available on the market. And we're, we're looking at the advances that are happening with genomics, with, you know, tailored care, and with how we can, you know, targeted treatments for patients that really gives you you can see the innovation and the cutting edge aspects of it, as well as things like potentially 3D printing of medicines to be able to, to get that specific dose that we want for our pediatric patients in particular. Oh, yeah, there's so, there's so exciting. much exciting stuff happening. Yeah. And actually, I'm quite fortunate to have this podcast because interviewing people who are in this, you know, digital innovative space is really exciting and showcasing what we're doing. Um, and like you said, for community primary care, kind of the ICS roles, there is so much yes. also available to young people. Um, and the variety of skills that you use are completely different to hospital. But also, um, I think it's really valuable, again, when you are a student is understanding more about where you fit in. Yes. And trying to highlight all of those passions and that energy and where you're going to put it. Um, because there is so much available now, it's actually your sport for choice. Yeah. Um, I guess when you were a student and you saw you went to King's for, you know, your work experience and you loved it, um, were there any steps that you took to kind of ensure that you would work within the hospital space during your pre-reg year or? So literally, and I know it's not very PC nowadays, but in the olden days, because I'm an oldie, <laughs> so to speak, um, literally went and did the some some placement kings and thought yeah and was told informally that they would very much like me back and that was lovely to hear obviously you have to go through a formal process with it but it was good to hear I actually went back to do my pre-reg year at kings um and Unfortunately, though, I actually didn't pass my pre-reg until the third sitting, which is the final sitting that you can. Um, I failed it by 1% the first time. I failed by second, the second time by 2%. So it was very challenging um, for various reasons, one of which is just when you lose your confidence um, and then you actually then don't have that confidence to be able to sit those exams or feel confident you know what you are doing that can be quite challenging for especially for young careers pe people like starting off in their career and students coming out of there very um because you don't realize how lucky it is in comparison to the working 
life and working life has a very different skill set that you need in comparison to studying. Um, so that was very challenging at the time, but it didn't stop me. And I continued past, obviously, if not, I wouldn't be a pharmacist. And actually, from there, I applied for the STEP program, which is the rotational program for junior pharmacists. Um, and it was the first STEP year. And I interviewed very well there. Um, I was offered basically all of my options, but I actually went back to where I had my retraining because after King's, I accepted a residency role at Lewisham, um, but they kindly agreed to take <coughs> to take me on as a pre-reg trainee until I passed my exams. So I went back there, one for loyalty as well as for like, feeling they've done the right thing by me I should definitely do the right thing by them absolutely um were, was there anything specific in terms of uh the examination process or passing the exam that you know I guess was there any stress in your life at that time or any obstacles that you were facing that made it difficult to pass the exam or like me I'm I find exams really hard mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of good skills, but when it comes to actual test taking, I don't perform very well under pressured environments like that. So I would say that um, prior to my degree course, I was basically a straight A student. And then when I did my degree course, um, had lots of family change. Um, so we actually had... Um, so this is quite personal. So that's why I was like, oh, actually, I'm going to say this. So basically, we had um, a group of teenagers target our home. And I was getting my window smashed every other week, basically. Oh, my goodness. So pretty sort of like, because of that family moved away. But because I was doing my degree, I stayed um, nearby with, and it's just... When you have lots of change, it becomes then quite difficult for you to obviously focus. And I think that led me to then fail my exams to be honest at uni and then have to reset them but that's okay you know you you learn from your failures I think it's really important to accept that and I think because um but one thing that did hit me was like my confidence in sitting exams so sitting exams was quite challenging I, I know for a fact, it's something to you, when you're under that pressure, it's just your mind locks and you don't, you can't access that knowledge that you have. And that was all it was. And with time, you learn skills to overcome that and you accept that actually that was something that you've learned and that you can grow from because without failure, you'll never know what you've actually learned and actually grown from because if you're constantly getting strays, you don't see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that must be quite, you know, it, it must have caused a lot of trauma at, yeah. in that moment, like not being able to sleep out of fear yeah. that that could happen as well. Yeah. Like that must have caused you a lot of yeah. It was stress. It was, quite, it was a very difficult time at the time, but but you know you live through it and you you accept the fact that you know things have happened, um, and you hope that people and people that you interact with don't treat other people that way anymore. But you know you you do as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I think the pre-reg year or trainee pharmacist year, let me let me update yeah. my 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 usage. It's just, you know, the old way of saying it. Um it's really challenging. Yeah. You have to learn to live so 
you know, start a work life, <coughs> study at the same time. For a lot of uh, trainees, you have moved potentially to a, a new town. Mm -hmm. You're living with new people or in, you know, hospital accommodation, for example, um, which can be hit and miss in terms of enjoying, yeah. um, you know, where you're at. I lived in hospital accommodation for a month because I moved to Cambridge um, and didn't have very good flatmates and ended up leaving and, and finding my own place a couple of months mm -hmm. after I started. So, you know, that, that can be quite stressful in terms of your progress as you're trying to work mm -hmm. um, and progress with all your evidence that you have to do and and you're learning all the time you're coming home you're studying in the evenings like it's genuinely really hard and I think these days it's even harder because the generation that are coming out of university are not all working mm -hmm. throughout their university degree um, and I'm always saying to my students and encouraging them that, hey, get that experience. It really helps you with the degree itself. But it also that life skill is so valuable when you go into a full time workplace. Um, but when you do get to sort of February, March time and it's coming towards the end of the year, you're really like, you know, pushing on those evidences that you've got to get in order to finish the actual training year. Yeah. You're also then stepping up in terms of studying mm -hmm. you know multiple nights of the week multiple hours on the weekend and you know you've got three chances and if you don't pass that exam you will never exactly. be a pharmacist like that is a lot of yeah. pressure yeah for a young person who's you know 20 21 years old like that is really hard and if you fail it once there is also the perception that you're not a good pharmacist in your head. You're exactly. thinking, I am not good at this. You automatically can go into a cycle mm -hmm. of failure and fear. And I can understand why you lost so much confidence and you compare yourself to other people around you. And by then, those trainee pharmacists will have passed and started their life in the real world and you feel like you've been left behind. Yeah. And I had a similar experience, not because of <clears throat> failing an exam, but when I moved to the US as a 15-year-old mm -hmm. and I had to go to um, a public school in Richmond, Virginia, boys and girls, and I went from an all-girls private school to this very, you know, public American school. It was a massive change. I did my undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry um, and then knew that, hey, I would need to do another four to five years to become a pharmacist. And in the US, it's completely normal, but I wanted to move back home. So in terms of my friends, like my, my family, in terms of my cousins who I was very close with who were similar age, all of them were working. All of them were able to go out on the weekends and afford mm -hmm. fun, going out to clubs, drinking, like yeah, hanging yeah. out with each other, like pricey restaurants. And they were all in really good jobs so they could afford it. And I really felt left behind. I was still a student. I was living with my parents, working on the weekends just for pocket money. Um, so, you know, you you can compare yourself to what's happening around you and what's happening in society. But now I see the value of actually just focusing yeah. on what I have to do. Um, and it's quite hard in the moment to do that, but it's really valuable to kind of remind yourself that, hey, like I can do this mm -hmm. and I'm doing it for me. 
um, and not to think about what's happening around me. Um, but it but it is hard in the moment. I think it's also really important, especially for like young people who are coming out from the university too, because don't forget. You're, when you're throughout university, throughout your school life, you are comparing yourself to your your peers and your you know fellow friends because it's oh what grade have you got? What have you done? Have you done this? Have you done that? And you you have that comparison, and it's having that confidence to say it doesn't matter what they're doing, hmm. it's what you're doing, and it's how you accept it. It's also really important. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, I thought it's really important to sort of bring my story to this is that if anyone is struggling. They need to not be scared of saying so and just raising it mm. and raising it at an early enough stage to be able to get help. Do, do you know what I mean? Because sometimes there's some things you can fix and sometimes there's things that you can't fix and that's okay. You just need a bit of help to get it fixed and people just need to to accept that and understand that it's okay to ask for that help. Yeah, yeah, really absolutely. Important. Absolutely. I, even during my training year around December, I put so much pressure on mm. myself to do well in that training year. I wanted to demonstrate to the people around me that I was going to be an amazing pharmacist. I did really well throughout university, you know, felt like, you know, I was top of my class most of the time and I was really serious about being the best version of myself yeah. within pharmacy, especially because I did an undergraduate degree prior to this. Yes. So I felt like a mature student. So I was ready. I was ready to go into the workplace. But around December time, I put had put a lot of pressure on myself with the evidences, with proving myself to the people around me. I went into um, like a cycle of insomnia. Yeah. And uh, I had a few weeks where I was really struggling to sleep. And it got to sort of Christmas week. Um, and I made four or five errors in the controlled drugs dispensing. Um, and I think I hadn't asked for any help and I didn't want people to know that I was struggling as well. Um, so once they saw those errors and it was unlike me, um, we had to have this discussion of me taking some time off um, to just reset. So I had to last minute sort of asked for annual leave and they did support me and they gave me the rest that I needed. I completely tuned out of the training year, enjoyed a week off, spent time with my family and kind of reset my cycle, went to the GP to get, you know, some support. Um, I think I even took like Zopiclone for a few days um, and, you know, just kind of reset myself um, to get back to work again. So, you know, I feel like that kind of stress can manifest in different ways for different people. And mm -hmm. mine was a sleep issue at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess when you got your first job as a pharmacist, um, did you gain that uh, kind of confidence back immediately or how did that work for you? So it, it always takes time because you're so ingrained in your actual sort of habits and you have to slowly sort of like take out that and um develop almost techniques to give you to, to not go back into that tunnel of perpetual oh I'm rubbish and this and that um and so yes I know in that respect so with the so at the time we called it a basic grade year and we did residency and then non-residency um did I think um the challenges that come from being a resident though gives you a lot of confidence absolutely you 
you learn that you have to tackle it. Sink or swim, and you learn to tackle it, and you you gain a lot of confidence. You also build some amazing relationships. I think at th- that period of time because you have that you have a group of people who you share that same experience with. But not only that, you're you you have the nursing and the medical respect that because they see you on the front line day in day out and out of hours and they're like you really need to go home and I'm like yeah yeah absolutely and that do remember, happens do you remember the days that you used to um obviously carry the bleep on yes, night shifts and things always. and even um I remember I mean this is 13 years ago and I can still remember some of the phone numbers yes. to some of the wards I mean that's really sad <coughs> well, um but and the people who answer the phone you know who they are yeah. you're rotating yeah. through all of the specialist yeah. areas and on your exactly. night shifts those people who pick up the phone, yeah. they're grateful that you're yeah, there yeah. on the other end. Yeah. They know who you are. Yeah. They're like, oh, thank God, it's Anisha. I'm going to get yeah, the help yeah. that I need in order to solve the problem. Yeah. Or she's going to be kind enough yeah, to yeah. discharge my patient, <laughs> even though we're asking her to do it at three o'clock in the morning, like she'll do us a favor. And those relationships, like you say, you build so easily. This morning at Pret, randomly... I met a colleague of mine who was in my residency oh, wow. who lives and works in Oxford and he was randomly in London. Yeah. And it's you don't see each other often. You don't talk to each other often, but that relationship, yeah. it's still there yeah. because you go through such a tough time <clears throat> together. You grow and you kind of build the foundation as to who you are mm-hmm. in that residency. So when we met each other, it was really nice. Like it was good to catch up. I I also remember, and I don't know if you did this, but we the postgraduate diplomas that you do. Um, so we did the first part of the certificate part of that. And um, I remember just doing the case study work on the wards because it's just easier. This was before electronic patient prescribing. So you had these paper notes that you would trawl through and you would look through. And I just remember like really taking advantage of the fact that you're a resident anyway. You're going to be there till midnight at least. You're on site, you're staying on site. You may as well work till midnight if, you, if it's a quiet night and you can get that information you need all in one place. Absolutely, yeah. I used to, um, in Oxford, we used to have the medicines information room close to the dispensary. So we used to just (laughs) set up, knowing that we'd be on a night shift, bring your backpack, all your diploma work, log on to the computer and answer bleeps in between doing your uh, coursework. So yeah, we we lived a similar life. And it's a very, in my mind, it's a very efficient way of working. Yeah, it's because like a two for one. Exactly. Yeah, so, I loved it. When you rotated through, I guess, all the specialist areas mm-hmm. during your basic training, mm-hmm. um, did you start navigating towards pediatrics? Tell me how your pediatric journey began. So my pediatric journey was very interesting because um, so I navigated through the different routine rotations Um dispensary, aseptics, and various different specialties like gastroenterology, general medicine. And then I rotated into paediatrics. And at the time we had three paediatric pharmacists in the hospital illusion. And in a succession of probably about a month or two of each other, they all left. And I was the only paediatric trained pharmacist in the whole hospital. So I sort of like fell into peds for that reason but I really enjoyed peds I found that the teams came across 
the consultants, the doctors, the nurses were so much more appreciative of our input and the opportunities for input were so much more bigger there. And um, I felt like it was it was an opportunity to be able to build those relationships and really augment them. Um, we, When I was there, the only concern I did have was, am I doing the right thing? A lot of these smaller hospitals have only one paediatric pharmacist and you don't know what you don't know. And my biggest concern was, am I doing the right thing? So after two years of doing it, I actually thought I need to work in a team because I need to know whether what I'm doing is right or, mm. or if I've got bad habits, I need to stop them. And how am I going to be able to stop them? That was one of the main incentives why I left because I loved the area. I loved the hospital. I loved the, the, the working relationships I had. I loved the patients. I loved the opportunities that gave me to be the pediatric pharmacist. I, I loved working in pediatrics because I knew I liked peds. So I then went to Chelsea and Westminster to work in the women's and children's um, team. And what what then was a, I think a D grade or C grade is, which was a band seven here. Um, we, I then did, that for a couple of years and finished off the second half of my diploma then um, because at the time when we did this, this what we call the certificate you that the recommendations you do the certificate to get your basis then you get some work experience and proper work experience and then you do the diploma where you can specialize in specific things on the course um, and so I finished my diploma at um, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital I see. So was it rotational in terms of paediatrics? Women's and children's okay, rotational so you got, seven. Okay, amazing. So was it one year or? It was It was nine months. Nine months, cool. So you got a good variety of the different yes. sort of areas within paediatrics, pediatrics at that time. Yes. Amazing. It's like Evelina, obviously our band sevens do one year rotations. Um, and sometimes I'm jealous that they've got that job. I love my 8A, but... It's really nice because you get such a good like foundation and grounding in all the areas. So then when you do decide what it is you, you want to specialize within peds, you've got a fountain of knowledge and experience to kind of put you in the best position to get that 8A. Um, especially because when you become a senior pharmacist, like our routine is we have a clinical lead pharmacist in the afternoon who supports all the juniors. You kind of need all the general knowledge mm -hmm. to be able to help them with complex patients. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of things that you've said is that being within a team within pediatrics has a lot of value. Yeah. And there are a lot of district general hospitals. Like I worked in Stoke Mandeville, um, again, covering a mat leave, started covering NICU at that time. And that's where I sort of started falling in love with the whole multidisciplinary side mm -hmm. of pediatrics. I just, I loved tiny people at that point. I had got a child of my own and I was like, oh, I could see myself in this area. Um, I loved how approachable mm -hmm. the doctors and nurses were. I loved how much they valued our work and I didn't always feel like that in adults. Um, they really wanted your input. They wanted to improve what they were doing which related to, you know, pharmacy. So there was a drug error review, review group mm -hmm. where we would make improvements to practice. And you're, you're really putting all of your skills and your knowledge to use. 
um, in pediatrics. And not to say that you don't in adults, but it does feel slightly different. And I don't think I could go back to adult care now. I feel like I really just love it so much. I find, and I don't know if this is very biased, but I find the doctors and the nurses a lot more approachable than pediatrics. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that makes it then really attractive and really supportive um, for you when you start your younger career, your new your career, and you then want to stay. And you and seeing your patients grow up is amazing. I actually bumped into a patient of mine who was volunteering in the hospital, and she she was volunteering and she was doing pharmacy school because she said when she met me. It inspired her to want to be a pharmacist, oh, amazing. which was lovely. It was such a lovely thing to hear. And she had cystic fibrosis. And years ago, cystic fibrosis would shorten your lifespan. Yeah, absolutely. But now it's it's a reality. You can actually go on to adulthood and have families with mm. cystic fibrosis. So it's a great opportunity. Oh, that's so nice mm. that you got that feedback yeah. and you saw her. Oh, amazing. I love that. Yeah, that's great. When you were at Chelsea and you started, I guess, uh, your... A D grade, was it, or C grade? It was a C grade, C I think. Grade. Um, did you start identifying a clinical area or a specialty area that you thought, hmm, I can totally see myself doing this? So not necessarily. What actually happened was I knew what I didn't want to do. Okay. That's good <laughs> which, as well. Which, that's really good. Yeah, that's which I think helps if you know exactly what you don't necessarily like or don't necessarily want to do. So I didn't particularly like maternity okay. and gynae. Um, gynae because I think it felt a bit too close to home, some of it. And also um, I still prefer small people. I just like small people, I think. <laughs> and then obviously with maternity leave, maternity dealing with the midwives sometimes can be quite challenging especially at Chelsea where you had a certain clientele that required a certain level of service that may not necessarily be realistic so for that reason I'd been at Chelsea for about two and a bit years maybe and that I just felt like it I, I need to sort of like find an area that I like that isn't specialist I didn't enjoy the commute either across London um, okay um because I live in East London Chelsea is in West London so it's a big commute and it's quite a, a unique area in yeah. terms of actual access it's not like a really no. easy place you know no. Evelina's right in Waterloo it's quite easy yeah. to get to yeah obviously where you are Euston is perfect yeah. to get to um so it's, it's quite challenging so um a job came up at Manchester Children's Hospital and I came from Manchester. It was a specialist um, renal job, AA renal. I thought, oh, I could give that a try. I enjoy peas. I could give that a try. Maybe go there for a couple of years and then come back to London, you know, with and maybe another different specialty. So I relocated to Manchester. You don't mind moving around, do you? <laughs> well, I grew up in Manchester and I never actually yeah. wanted to leave it. It was only because... Okay. My family had left Manchester that I thought, okay, but I don't okay. mind moving around now. Not for the right job. <laughs> See, that's quite interesting because a lot of people, um, I think the younger generation today would prefer to live like in, in London and they wouldn't necessarily want to like move halfway across the country on their own. They like to, you know, have their, their comforts and uh, security. 
while I think when we were doing our training year and starting out, it was just kind of like, well, you go wherever the jobs are and you're like completely happy to relocate. And like I I 100% was not interested in living in London. I was like, oh, there's so many other places to see and stay. So I I did a year in Cambridge, then lived in Oxford um, and really liked the opportunity to see a new city, uh, try a different lifestyle um, and meet lots of new people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really enjoyable. Um, you can get trapped in London sometimes. Um, you know, you you end up just finding roles local and you, you don't explore outside. I think, in my opinion, it's always really good to have a variety in your career, when you, especially if you're starting out, because if you stay in one place all the time, you almost get into the I'm too comfortable to move sort of like situation and you then almost forget that that you know and by those networking conferences and talking to other people you realize actually there's lots of places doing amazing things as well and it's how do you keep yourself fresh how do you keep yourself improving and how do you almost make sure that you're being the best version of yourself for your job and to get your area to the best it can ever be. Yeah, 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 I agree completely. And when you moved to Manchester, you had, I guess, two or three years of Band 7 experience in paediatrics. Did you feel ready for the step up into a management position and kind of, sorry to interrupt you, I guess what steps did you take to make sure you were ready for that? So it wasn't a management position at the time so what happened was I went there as a specialist clinical pharmacist okay which means that there was no management or direct management there might be supervisory but you didn't directly manage anyone and it was for me it was the opportunity to go and specialize in a specific field and the opportunity to then see where specifically I wanted to because my thought processes was this is a children's hospital. <clears throat> There'll be lots of opportunities for other specialties. So if renal isn't the thing for me, at least I can go and see what there is. And then I can make those decisions. So it was never around management. It was always around because I never really wanted to be a manager. I fell into being a manager. Um, and what this was when also consultant pharmacists were starting to develop okay and so the idea was maybe that's what I want to do be a clinical specialist as a consultant pharmacist in some way shape or form um so going there would give me those opportunities and experience um what I enjoyed about the job was the fact that you really are integrated within the team and they really do rely on you and not necessarily rely on you as in if you're not there, it's the end of the world. But if you're not there, you are missed. They do ask for your opinion. They want your opinion and they want your input. I think the challenges that you have as a specialist pharmacist is that there's so many opportunities to be involved in things and it's choosing wisely and choosing what you can and can't do. Because if you don't learn to say no, you end up doing lots of things, but doing them all badly. And what you want to do is do things well absolutely yeah no I completely agree um and one of the things with with pediatrics and the input that you have in the clinical team is there's so much more involved when you're clinically screening a prescription and things that we know that they don't necessarily think about 
um, whether that's unlicensed medicines, supplies in the community. Can we give them a specialist drug that is actually available mm -hmm. at home? Um, is it going to be inconvenient that they've got four children, they've got one you know, coming in and out of the hospital and they have to come to us for yeah. certain supplies, go to the community pharmacy for certain supplies, you know, um, how are we going to crush tablets? Are we going to use NG tubes? And a lot of these things come up in adult care. Mm -hmm. But I think on a day-to-day -day basis, you use it so often, it's just integrated into your workflow, which isn't always the case. And yeah. when trainee pharmacists come to rotate with us or, you know, the step pharmacists are starting to come and, uh, you know, spend time with us. This is always one thing that they, I guess, have to step up their knowledge of quite quickly because they know they need to use it so often. It's not the case of a paracetamol 500 milligram tablet or a furosemide 40 milligram tablet that you just take. You know, he, you don't even, it doesn't even cross your mind. It's just one OP, you know, supply a pack. Yeah. But here you've really got to understand the age, size of the child and, and make adjustments and pharmacokinetics as well all comes into play. But the beauty of being a rotational pharmacist is you get to see how other people, other experienced pharmacists have worked. You can choose the best from each of them to how you want to work. You almost like cherry prick. Oh, Anisha does this well, I'll do this bit of it. Oh, Hong does this well, I'll do this bit of it. And you can then build your own, which hopefully will be far greater than, you know, what you and I do individually. Mm. Um, I think that is definitely a real opportunity when it comes to the juniors who can rotate and see how we all work in different ways. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like where we are, I mean... I spend a lot of my afternoons in terms of education and training having uh, trainee pharmacists come and watch me do counselling. Yeah. I think from an education and training point of view and empowering patients mm -hmm. and parents, mm -hmm. it's something that I really, really enjoy. It's also extremely different from how you would mm -hmm. counsel an adult patient. Completely. Um, we've got pill school at Evelina, so we're, we're teaching children to swap from liquids to, you know, tablets. So it's really interesting to try and, you know, see a child, you know, go out of their own comfort zone and say, actually, do you know what? I do have to take this all the time. Let me try. And renal patients are a great mm. example of that. They are, they know they're on medications potentially for the rest of their lives and they're willing to take mm -hmm you know, a chance on trying something that makes life a little bit easier. And we've got little four and five-year-olds who know more about drugs than their parents. It's amazing, you know, like the amount that they actually can take in. They know all the names of the medicines, when they have to take them, what the side effects are, how it makes them feel, like it's great. And they're telling the nurses at school, like, oh, no, no, I'm due this, um, which is just it's a really rewarding part of the job to see how empowered children can be um, and, uh, you know, a massive joy in terms of what we do in, in our day-to-day -day roles. One, uh, with you saying that, one thing that came to mind that, that was a really lovely thing to happen to myself was um, as a renal pharmacist, I went onto the ward. And as you said, with renal patients, you get a lot of they come in, they come out, you see them grow and you see them progress. And there was one time, um, one regular patients come come in. So I came up to the ward and they they saw me. And the first thing the patient said is, oh, Hong's here, mum. And then mum says, oh, Hong, I'm so glad you're here. You can sort all the medicines out because I know it'll be sorted with you here. And that's such a massive 
almost compliment and because you know you know they have confidence in you to make sure that their care is going to be what they expect it to be yeah um and in a way I do think it's it's you know it's sort of like it'd be nice if they felt that confidence in the medical team but the medical team have other priorities this is our specialist area and this is what we we excel in counseling getting them to that point where they will take responsibility for their own medicines and they understand that at Manchester we were training children on tic tacs to swallow tablets if we can swallow tic tac we can swallow a tablet and we do that from I think the age of about four or five yeah. onwards and just so you know even before pill school even existed we were doing stuff so it's and it's so rewarding to see them be able to to have that growth and develop into adults yeah and like you said you're following their pathway as they grow up into adult life and if you're in a specialist area like renal transplant you you hundred you can see a three-year-old four-year-old have a transplant and you grow with them all the way till they turn 18 and then you have to let them go and it's quite sad it it is but it's also nice because it's one of the in peds apart from hemonc and maybe um icus palliative care kids generally don't die not in comparison to the number of patients you see in adult services where they do die and it's nice to be able to have that sort of like part of their infrastructure to support them to grow mm. and see them off as adults yeah see them as well so tell me a little bit about how you transition from that role and coming back to london um, and also at that point, was there an interest in medicine, safety and governance? Because obviously that's what you're doing at the moment. Um, yeah, share a, so, share your story on the link. So it, it becomes a lit. So when I was renal pharmacist, um, the children's hospital was merging with the adult MRI Manchester Royal Infirmary and it's become Central Manchester Foundation Trust. And because we're merging um, and because there's lots of change, um, unfortunately, the managers who I had at the time left. Um, they they had various different opportunities and other reasons for leaving. And um, I was the only AA at the Children's Hospital at the time. I knew that if I didn't apply for my manager's job and nobody applied for it, I'd be dumped with the job to do. So I applied for it for the sheer fact that I may as well get paid for what I'm doing. And I got it. And then I became um, medicine's lead pharmacist so for paediatrics. So I then looked after general medicine, specialist medicine, um, and I was that lead pharmacist for it. When we integrated with the adult services, we had the children's hospital department and that was where I became um, general medicine. Because I was a clinical lead and because I was general medicine, um, at the children's hospital, we had a drugs and therapeutics equivalent called the Medicines Management Committee. They needed a clinical pharmacist on there. And I became the paediatric solid clinical pharmacist within their Medicines Management Committee meetings. Um, and I sat, I, I was a member of that for a good number of years and I enjoyed it. And the rationale for enjoying it is it gave you had the opportunity to look at all the new innovative treatments that were coming through. You understood it. You had the opportunity to help bring them to real life. You had the understanding that the infrastructure of the trust then would provide you with the right support 
because what I, I think a lot of junior pharmacists and um, cl- clinicians, really clinical team members don't really understand is that if you're prescribing something, it's not being approved by the trust and you're doing a random dose or something like that, it's on your back if something goes wrong. If the trust approves it, it's not on your back, it's on it's on the trust back. And that gives you real strength of power because at the end of the day, we are in healthcare. Nobody sets out to do damage to patients, but it does happen. And it's trying to make sure that we provide that support there. And I really understood that and understood the impact of that. There's a there's a huge learning opportunity mm. when you go into roles such as that or when you have the opportunity to go and listen in on drugs and therapeutics committee type meetings or the type of roles that you would have where you go to them on a regular basis, uh, especially as a junior pharmacist. And when I was trained in Oxford, there was an expectation in certain rotations that you would have the opportunity to present something as well that you've worked on. And you're, you're in the firing line. People are asking you questions about the drug that you potentially want to add to the formulary in terms of cost effectiveness, the evidence space behind it, how it's going to impact patients, how many people are going to use it, what do the clinical trials say. And you really have to know your stuff. It's an intimidating meeting with lots of consultants kind of firing questions at you. But it's a really good opportunity to also see the process, to also understand how commissioning works and how Mm -hmm. funding works and what's expensive, what's not, and how that then impacts the patients that you are seeing on a day-to-day basis within your clinic or within your ward. Um, And I'm always encouraging our juniors to get involved with formulary applications because it's a great way to learn um, and it's a great way to expand your clinical knowledge and in pediatrics even more important because there's less evidence available Um, there's less information in terms of the bnfc compared to the bnf and you know, we use our Evelina formulary, which has been amazing. And being a part of that journey has been absolutely incredible because your knowledge does expand. Um, so I'm always, you know, encouraging people to get involved with that from a safety point of view as well. Like your brain is just like t- ticking in so many directions when you think about that. Supply issues. Are we getting imports? Is this a special? Like what's the expiry date? You know, um, all of those things come into play. Um, so it's, it's it's obviously a, a very rewarding part of our job as well. It's absolutely, completely agree 100% on, on everything that you said. And there's, for, for me, there's also that you actually do see the innovation and the the stuff that, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you watch TV and you have the BBC News and they, they talk about the patient that we've cured with whatever gene therapy or whatever treatment. And I'm like, oh yeah, we proved that about a year ago. Did you know, we're actually onto the third generation one that we're looking at now. And it's, it's that excitement of, wow, we really have achieved a lot. And we're, we're helping to build that, that treatment pathway for patients Mm. that I love. Um, But what I would definitely agree with and encourage is for junior pharmacists and trainees is to get the most out of attending a drugs and therapeutics committee or medicines management committee is to be involved in those applications, is to be involved in those guidelines and developments by seeing through a journey of what they've done and how the process works, you have a much clearer 
idea of how it works. I never recommend anyone comes to our Drugs and Therapeutics Committee meetings without that because the last thing you want someone to do is sit through a three-hour meeting and not remember anything because it's not relevant to them. Yeah, but doing the process and being process, involved exactly. is, is a massive yes, lear- like it's a learning thing. opportunity and helps you to remember Definitely. how things work. And also then when you need to do it by yourself, yeah. you you know what you need to be doing. And also it gives you appreciation. So when you go to another hospital, yes, their processes might be slightly different, but it'll still be a very similar process. Yeah. Those th- those, you know, embedded theories are always going to be there and will be expected for understanding. And it really gives you a good opportunity when you're you're looking at career progression because your understanding of the actual, what the committee does, what the, how new treatments are in, innovative and how they're brought in and how development of that and formula requests and how the pharmacy input to that is so key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess let's kind of move forward to the point where you get a job at Great Ormond Street. How how did that come about? So Great Ormond Street was a so my my family is still in London and my dad was getting is still getting older and I thought it's about time because I'd been I, I went to Manchester thinking I'd be there for a couple of years and be back. I was there for nearly ten years. So I thought it's about time I actually need to probably look at working somewhere closer to home just so it's easier an opportunity came up at Grown Street that was a job that was half drugs and therapeutics and half um, immunological specialties at the time when I applied for that job um, I opportunistically was granted a master's in research by NIHR at the same time um, so I, it was difficult in the sense that um, so I actually went to Great Ormond Street and I spoke to um, the manager at the time, Kwan, who was my manager at the time, and said, this is what I've got. Um, the MRES, as, as they called it at the time, I've opted for two years part-time. Um, I currently work for long days. Um, reason being, it gives me a day to actually do chores for my family. Um, I'm very interested in the job, but I you know, but I want to be open and honest about where I stand on this because it's not like I really hate my current job. It's just this would suit me from a location perspective and I can see there's so much potential and gosh that I'd like to be able to make a contribution to. Um, fortunate enough to get the job and then worked two years part-time doing the Masters in Research. And so for that reason... I had to decide which bit of my job I was going to delegate and give out to someone else. I felt that the drugs and therapeutics committee aspects would be far easier to maintain rather than patient sort of managing clinical aspects. And that's why I chose to give up the clinical. I really missed it. I'm getting wrong. The the whole satisfaction of seeing patients and knowing you can make a difference and help them. I missed that a lot initially but I also knew reality-wise I would be doing patients a disservice if I was only doing that part-time. That that would therefore mean they weren't going to get the whole of me, which they can get, or an equivalent of me to be able to have that service. Um, so I did drugs and therapeutics for two years, 
and then the chief pharmacist retired and we got a new chief pharmacist in post um, in 2018. With our new chief, we restructured and I became full-time governance because the chief asked me at the time, it was in my job description, asked me at the time, um, would I like to be full-time governance? It was a hard decision because I'd obviously missed clinical for two years already, wanted to keep clinical, but knew that it wasn't realistic. Governance was something that I felt quite passionate about in that I knew that if if somebody else came in and did it, I may not like it. And I wanted to, to give it. And I knew because I was in the job already, I knew what our problems were. I knew how we could fix it. So I then became Medicine Safety Information Governance Lead Pharmacist and we restructured to manage medicines information. We recruited medicine safety pharmacists, clinical commissioning, antimicrobial stewardship and my own role as governance and DTC. All things we need. Yes. Absolutely. All things we're actually desperately craving for within the yes. you know, specialist area of paediatrics. Yeah. So amazing um that you you managed to to grow a team. Yeah. Um a really good opportunity. And and you're right, leaving the clinical or what we consider a clinical job um is extremely challenging to make that decision. Um I've toyed with the idea on numerous occasions, and I find it really hard to let go. I feel I'm still new to kind of getting into palliative care. I'm absolutely loving it. It's a great specialist area. Um, you know, there's not many of us in the UK who do it, and there's just so much that can be done because it's still relatively new. There's not enough research in the area. There's, you know, a big push for sort of the national group, APPM, to work together. You know, we're working to educate GPs, working to educate pharmacists in the community so that people feel more supported mm -hmm. to help our patients, especially because a lot of them are in the community and they're not in hospital. We need more of, you know, the primary care support. So from an education point of view, a research point of view, um, you know, there's a lot of growth that's to come, which is really exciting. I really love the community and being part of the patient's life in the moment there in the hospital and the amount of kind of information we give to parents makes a huge impact to the way that they can support their child through a very challenging process. But at the same time, I've been doing education and training, obviously, with my King's role. I've been um, doing a lot of work on our formulary. And you kind of, you, you forget you should call a formulary governance DTC type role as clinical. It is clinical. We have to, we have to uh, stop kind of considering if you're in front of the patient, you're a clinical pharmacist, because all of these jobs that happen in the background yeah. are super clinical. And I'm sure a lot of the work that you did on your master's, like in research, help you to build the skills that you utilize in terms of gathering evidence for applications every single day. And all of that is clinical knowledge, but you're just utilizing it in a very different way. And at the end of the day, all of those drugs, all of those monographs, all of those guidelines are utilized by clinicians every single moment. So you are making an impact. It's just very different. It's 
completely agree. And I think, apologies, I use the wrong, I, we are clinical. I think the difference is you miss that satisfa- instant satisfaction oh, gratification. Yeah. Absolutely. That you get when you see the patient yeah, and you yeah, have that yeah. relationship, don't you? But saying that, the job that I'm in now has a much bigger impact for patients than I could doing patient-facing pharmacy because of the fact that we're agreeing groups of patients, we're agreeing cohorts of patients, we're looking at innovative treatments that is, you know, once in a lifetime sort of treatments that will be, and having the opportunity to help support that and review that and make those decisions, I think is, you know, you don't get that very often. Even my role as a full-time governance person, I don't know if there's many of those nationally pediatric-wise, if at all. And I think that gives me, that demonstrates how unique we are in the situation at GOSH because we have so many applications for this. And also being part of a tertiary centre, yeah. there are there are massive benefits um, in terms of being in a hospital, which is a tertiary centre, because you get all of the sort of unique, weird and wonderful conditions that you don't see on a regular basis in other places. Um, I was even saying the other day, like we've obviously got band sevens going on rotations and some of them haven't got their first picks. Um, so there was a little bit of whinging going on about the rotations that they will be going on. Um, but it's for me, I feel like turning around and saying to them out loud is that it's all about your mindset because actually mm-hmm. you are so fortunate to potentially being, you know, to go on a neurology and metabolic ward in pediatrics. You will not see these types of patients day in, day out in a district general. And if you do, you will be lost as to how to help them because the doctors won't really know what to do. Again, they're not exposed to it in the same way that our consultants and registrars and junior doctors are. The amount of information and guidelines that we have in-house, you just don't have access to that. And I've been there. I've been in a district general Mm. where we've got metabolic patients and I didn't even know where to start. So we have to kind of turn around that mindset that like no rotation is a bad rotation Um, and that, you know, think about all the positive elements of what you will learn and where you can utilize that knowledge elsewhere or teaching someone else knowledge that they wouldn't know anything about coming from a different hospital uh, when they first start working. Um, So that's quite, you know, it is amazing to be part of a tertiary centre and be involved with some really cutting edge stuff that's going on. I I completely agree. And I think I've been very fortunate in my career that I've been able to work in big and small centres, because I think that gives you a balance and gives you that reminder of they, they do ask for different skill sets. And if anybody who is trained has that opportunity to have those exposures, they should definitely take it on and see the differences and the skill sets that you need from your smaller district general hospitals where it's very much, it's providing services locally in comparison to this specialist, super specialist where you're once in a lifetime, you will see these sorts of conditions and these treatments for these patients. Mm, absolutely. I guess let's look into the future. Mm. Um, you know, we've had some change uh, with the new chief, obviously, yes. coming through with Jane in post. Um, what do you see for the future in terms of your role and what you're going to achieve in terms of your career? 
I think it's exciting times, my gosh. And that's um, what I would say. Very exciting times. There's so many opportunity for growth and development of careers themselves. My own role, I want to develop the team and develop my own career and potentially forge out an ability to of pediatric governance and being able to demonstrate and work closer with our commissioners maybe around how we can build that evidence that they need and so strongly recommend we have in order to get commissioning policies through and the approvals of. Um, so I think that is a really exciting opportunity. Um, never say never to anything else that comes along. Don't I'm more than open to anything that we can do. But I think what I would like to do is be able to have, gosh, be open and outward facing and be able to say, we're here to help you. But in order for that to have, we have to have the right infrastructure and our systems be in place. And that's what I'm working on at the moment for us to have our governance pathways and our formulary and everything in place for that. Well, watch the space. We look forward to hearing, um, I guess, about the the future of your role and your team. Um, It was an absolute pleasure to get to know you and hear your story. Um, And I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank Thank you.